Okay, well, we're still in Proverbs chapter 8, and let me just read to you verse 13, which is our memory verse to kind of keep that fresh and in the forefront. It says, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogance and the evil way, and the perverted mouth I hate. And we got to take that verse apart last week and get into the nitty-gritty of what that means, and uh, you could always go back and uh, listen to that online. Uh, we're going to pick it up in verse 15. Now, this is a continuation of wisdom's dialogue. And King Solomon is using uh, this, personage, this personage of wisdom uh, in order to emphasize the importance of that trait and that attribute in the ruling body, whether they're judges or kings or ambassadors or however this royal family, these sons of Solomon, are going to fit into the kingdom. And that wisdom is first and foremost. So wisdom continues on with her dialogue, and she says in verse 15, By me, by wisdom, by me, kings reign, and rulers decree justice. We miss a whole lot just by going through the English, and I'm so glad we have the ability to go to the Hebrew because there's a lot of, of a play, a wordplay, a lot of wordplay in, in the Proverbs, and it's more poetically uh, put. And if you understood the Hebrew language, you could see where it rhymes and where the meter is and how these play on words are used. For instance, right here it says, by me kings reign. The words kings reign is melech malach. Melech malach. Now, melech means kings. But you also have malak, which they translated as rain. But in other places, they have used this very word to be translated as queen. Well, it says, by me, kings reign and rulers decree. That word rulers it might be translated princes. Yeah. By me, kings reign. So by, by me, you could say kings and queens and rulers or princes decree justice. So basically, verse 15 is listing the entire royal family. So you have the word kings, which is melech. You have the word malach, which they have translated as reign, but it could also be translated as queen. So you, there you have the king and queen. And from there you have, you know, the, the princes and princesses. So this word uh, for rulers in verse 15 has been translated as prince. In other places and you could translate it as prince so it says by me kings reign or kings and queens and princes decree now this word decree uh, means law and the word justice means righteousness so by me by wisdom kings and queens and princes know how to give right laws is basically what it says, broken down to in the original language, which I think is very beautiful. So, and rulers decree justice, decree. Uh, usually we think of a decree as like a royal decree, somebody giving a speech, but a decree is just another word for a command or, you know, something that the king is establishing uh, or any ruler that's establishing in a public uh, decree. Uh, decree justice. Uh, so that word justice also can be translated as righteousness. So basically it's talking about how wisdom gives kings, queens, and princes the ability to uh, rule righteously by righteous laws, by good laws. And what, what law is he talking about here? 
The five books of Moses, the Torah, right? That's the law. That's the righteous law. That's the ultimate righteous law because the five books of Moses is the very laws of God, 613 commandments altogether. And as I've said previously, that the first uh, duty of a king coming to the throne for the first time is to sit down and write himself out a copy of all five books uh, of Moses for himself because that's how he's going to know how to rule the kingdom. What rules apply to what groups of people and and how to rule and reign justly uh, the nation of Israel. And so that's what that boils down to. Now, verse 16 it says, by me, again, wisdom is talking about herself, by me, princes rule and nobles all who judge rightly. So this word for princes is different than the one in verse 15, which is rulers or could also be translated as princes. This word for prince or princes is the word sar. And you may have heard that word before in the phrase Sar Shalom, because that's one of the titles of the Messiah in the prophetic scriptures. I think that's in Isaiah, where he talks about, Isaiah talks about the Messiah is going to be the Prince of Peace, the Sar Shalom. And that word has also in the Hebrew have been borrowed in other languages, and it sounds like a czar, doesn't it? Sar Shalom, it sounds like a czar, C-Z-A-R, which is... Uh, was a title in Russia for a ruling for a ruler. So it's kind of a, interesting how that comes into play too. So it says, by me, wisdom, sars, uh, princes rule. Uh, this word rule, see, this is, this is why we miss so much because the Hebrew word for prince or princes is sar. The word for uh, ruler is um, sarar. So together it's sar, sarar. <laughs> So it's a little bit more melodic and a, and a little bit more uh, lithy uh, in the original language. So it's uh, by me, Sar Sharar, by me, princes rule. And this word for rule just basically means to govern or to hold dominion. Basically have control over a situation or a people. So wisdom gives kings and queens and princes the ability to govern, the ability to have dominion. And that's one of the first commands that God gave the first family on earth, Adam and Eve. It says, have dominion, be fruitful and multiply and have dominion over all of creation, over all, you know, the fish of the sea, etc., etc. By me, princes rule and nobles, this word uh, nobles, it's just talking about anybody that's of nobility. So that's a pretty accurate word, uh, translated word. There's not really many other translations you can have but nobles uh, and nobles who all who judge rightly this word judge is a very loaded hebrew word because when we think of judge we just think of somebody making a judgment you know we we, we think of a gavel being slammed down and all of a sudden there's a judgment but this word judge goes beyond that meaning this means to defend and to carry out a verdict Not only are you making a decision, making a ruling, making a law, but you're also enacting what it takes to carry that out and bring it to fruition and to bring it into full manifestation. So back to 15, by me, kings reign and rulers decree justice. By me, verse 16, princes rule and nobles, 
all who judge rightly. So here Solomon is including everybody because he knows that not everybody that he's talking to is going to be a king. There's only going to be one king that's going to succeed him, and the rest of the sons are going to be judges, and they're going to be ambassadors, and they're going to be uh, nobles and other types of rulers within the kingdom. So he's addressing all of his sons in that way, even including the queen because of that word reign. So he's talking about anybody from the royal family. Uh, I have uh, made a little note here. Um, says, brain is mightier than brawn. For it is the wisdom of kings rule that uh, controls military and civilian, which if come together could easily overthrow the king. So you just think about that. You have a king who's ruling over an entire kingdom. If that kingdom really didn't love the king or want the king, whether it be the military force or whether it be the civilian population, they could easily have a coup d'etat and overthrow that king. And it's only because of God-given wisdom and God-given insight into his word that a king is able to rule, one person is able to rule an entire population. From, from, from peasants to princes to you know, privates to generals. So it, it, it just goes to show that the, the, you know, a king cannot defend himself with brawn against an entire population of people. But with his brain... The brain is mightier than brawn, for it is wisdom, the wisdom of kings that rule and controls military and civilian, which, if they came together, could easily overthrow the king. So I think that's kind of an interesting thought to tie these two verses together. So uh, now I do have a note uh, here that kind of tie verses 13 through 16 together, and I'll just read that. So I say that Solomon is trying to tell his sons, the princes, that the mark of a great king is, number one, to fear the Lord. In other words, to have reverential respect and fear of the Lord. Um, we don't really see that much, see that much th these days. Like uh, used to in school, uh, you would call your teacher Mr. or Miss or Mrs. so-and-so, or you would call them Sir or you would call them Ma'am. You have kids calling their teachers by their first names now, which gives the illusion that the student is on the same level as, as, the, as the teacher, which isn't true. But it gives that illusion, and it gives rise for this disrespect to come out. So titles are important. Not that uh, you know a title shouldn't go to anybody's head and make them think that they're better than anybody else, but titles... Uh, you know, help keep that reverential fear and that reverential respect going. I still call Joy Schofield Mrs. Schofield. <laughs> <laughs> she said, you don't have to call me that anymore. <laughs> Old habits are hard to break. Uh, so that's the way it is with the Lord. And we have a wishy-washy, greasy grace gospel that's being purported uh, out through televangelists and, and, you know, other churches and other ministries where they just want to emphasize God is love, God is love, God is love, God is love. And it's true. God is love. But God is also a God of wrath. And it's something that's a reality that we have to face. It's not a, a pretty reality, not a reality that we want to think about. But, you know, God's not there. He's not this wrathful God that's ready to squash you like a bug when you mess up. He does love you and he wants you to do the right thing. But he's, he's a God of love, but he's also a God of justice. And, you know, you have, you have love and justice 
you know, on, on the one hand, there's love. On the, uh, the other hand, there's justice. You know, you, you, you just can't have all justice or we would all be dead because we're all guilty. We're all sinners. We're all unworthy of salvation. We're all unworthy of God's acceptance. We're all unworthy of God's love. There's nothing that we can do in and of ourselves to redeem us or make us acceptable in his sight. So if it was pure judgment, we would all be dead. But at the same time, on the other hand, if God is all love and it's all about love, then nobody goes to hell. doesn't matter what you do. You can be Adolf Hitler and still go to heaven. <laughs> you know, it's, it's crazy. So you have these churches that are emphasizing this love and wanting to portray God as, as, as a big brother in the sky or as some kind of divine buddy. There's got to be a reverential fear and respect. Now, I enjoyed going out fishing with my dad. I enjoyed a level of friendship with my dad. But he was still my dad. He couldn't be my best buddy, and he wasn't supposed to be my best buddy, even though my dad was my friend. I could trust him. I could depend on him. But we weren't peers. We weren't equals. We weren't on the same level. And that's the way that some of these ministries and evangelists are trying to portray God is that, oh, you guys are just equal. You're on the same level because you're buddies. He's just more powerful than you, and he wants to love you and help you out. No, you've got to have that reverential fear. I love my dad. He was my friend. We had a lot of good times together. But if I did something I knew was wrong, like call my mom a bad name one time, I was in my room shaking in fear because I knew what was going to happen when I was going to get home. The wrath of my father was going to fall on me for disrespecting my mom. And rightly so. So there was a reverential fear. Uh, I feared the authority of my dad, and I respected the authority of my dad. That's something that seems to be missing in our day and age. So Solomon is trying to tell his sons, the princes, that the mark of a great king is, number one, the fear of the Lord. Number two is humility. Humility. In other words, don't get a big head and don't get too big for your britches. Don't think that you're all that and you're God's gift to everybody. You have to stay humble. Because over and over and over in the scriptures, God says that he will suppress or throw down the prideful and he will exalt and lift up the humble. If you go in all prideful all the time, uh, I think it's, uh, I forget which book it's in, but there's this, uh, there's this example of like, well, if you just think you're all that great and you automatically take a seat of high nobility because you think you deserve it and you think you're so great, and all of a sudden the guy who's throwing the party comes up and says, um, you're in the wrong seat. Somebody else is supposed to sit here. You're going to have to sit all the way down there. How embarrassing that is. Instead of just being humble and say, well, you know, I may have titles, I may have responsibilities, but I'm, I put my pants on the same way everybody else does, one leg at a time. I bleed red blood just like everybody else, so I'm just going to sit here. And then have that person come up and say, oh, my goodness, why are you sitting way back here? You, come, come up here. Here's a better seat. You know, so humility goes a long way. Uh, so that's the second thing that Solomon is emphasizing. Fear of the Lord, humility, and three, wisdom. Wisdom is the key to it all. And as we're about to read, wisdom unlocks not only just, just mental, intellectual, spiritual knowledge, but it also unlocks uh, material wealth. It unlocks material blessings as well. So fear of the Lord, humility, and wisdom. Those are the three things that, that Solomon is really trying to drive home here in chapter 8 through this uh, persona of, of this uh, wisdom. So let's see. All right, verse 17. Wisdom says, I love those who love me, 
and those who diligently seek me will find me. Now here again, the Hebrew comes into play. So what it says, I love those who love me, it's ahav ahav. Because you have those two words for love, like right next to each other. I love those who love me, ahav ahav. And then that word diligently seek is shakar shakar. Those who diligently seek. Whenever, in the Hebrew, whenever they wanted to really emphasize something, an importance of something, they would repeat the word twice. So here, um, diligently seek. It's shakar shakar. I love those who love me. So you have to have a love affair with wisdom. You have to love wisdom. There's a difference between knowledge and wisdom. There's a difference between academics and scholar, scholarly pursuits and, and uh, uh, knowledge. There's a difference between that and wisdom. You can, you can go to school and, you know, for eight years, 12 years and be a doctor or a lawyer, but you can still be an idiot. You may know how to do brain surgery, but you may not have a lick of common sense that gets you through everyday life. That common sense is an attribute of wisdom. There, you know, it's one thing to, to learn things in a book and have book learning, as my dad would say. But how do you take that book learning and all that knowledge in your head and boil it down to an applicable level to where you could live it out on a daily basis? That's what wisdom is. That's where wisdom comes into play. I mean, I can know everything there is to know about the Word of God, but if I don't know how to apply it, and if I don't know how to live it, what good is it? I'm not wise. I mean, you, you, take, uh, you take computers, you know, supercomputers, and they're working towards artificial intelligence where, where these computers become sentient, where they, they, they become aware of their own existence. Well... A computer can know everything that there is to know, but it doesn't mean that a computer's wise. <laughs> and it seems like the Japanese are confusing the two because they're actually making robots that are taking the place of some Buddhist priests. They're actually getting their religious education from a robot, an artificial intelligence. And you know... If, say, if the devil or demons can possess human beings, if devils and demons can possess animals, who's not to say they can possess inanimate objects? There has been video recordings and things where there has been um, dolls that are supposedly haunted that move on their own. That's demonic possession. Who's not to say that a demon is not going to possess a robot that's put in a position of religious authority and give a bunch of false doctrine to somebody, and because it's a robot, because it's all intelligent and it's all knowing, then therefore it must be wise and let's believe it. Have you ever thought prophetically that this might, not saying that it is, but this might be the precursor to the image of the beast? There's going to be the beast, right? And then there's going to be the image of the beast, and the image of the beast is going to be required to be worshipped. What if this image of the beast is some hologram or some uh, android, some sort of robot, or maybe some sort of cybernetic combination of, you know, flesh and, 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 and hardware? And all of a sudden it comes to life. Right there, it could be demonic possession. So there's a difference between, you know, knowledge and education and, and, and wisdom. Wisdom is the knowing how to apply, uh, to apply all that stuff that you've learned. 
I love those who love me, and those who diligently seek me will find me. Those who diligently seek me will find me. What did Jesus say in the New Testament? He said, keep knocking, keep seeking, and you'll find. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's not just, okay, I'm going to seek the Lord. God, okay, I didn't hear anything. I'm going to go, I'm just going my way. In or Hebrews, it says he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek. Very good. Yeah, he, did you hear that? He, in Hebrews, he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, who shakar, shakar, who diligently means pursuing, not giving up, not letting it go. What makes a good salesman? One that's persistent. There's another story, too, where, where uh, you know, this guy's in, in, in his house. It's nighttime. The doors are locked. Him and all of his family are in bed, and his friend comes knocking on the door, has, hey, Give me some bread. I ran out. Somebody just came to visit, and I need something to give them. No, oh, go away. We're all in bed. I can't get up. Can, you can't, can't bother. But what did this guy do? He kept knocking. Wouldn't leave that guy alone. Finally, he said, geez, he's not going to leave me alone. Might as well give that guy his bread. So he gets up, gives him his bread. He got what he wanted. Why? Because he diligently sought. He, he was persistent. And that's what it means to knock, seek, and find. Not just knock once. Not just look once but to diligently, to keep at it until you've obtained that which you were looking for. Not to give up. Now the word find means um, find by it being delivered to you as a gift. That's what this Hebrew word find means. I love those who love me and those who diligently seek me will find me. So basically wisdom is almost like a lover that's playing hard to get. She wants to know how serious you are in wanting her. So if any if you've ever if you guys have ever had a crush, a major crush and this girl wasn't giving you the time of day, you were thinking all these different ways in your head how to get close to this girl, how to how to get the girl to go out on a date with you, to give you a chance and you didn't give up until you got that chance. And it's kind of like wisdom. She's playing hard to get. But she says, I love those who love me and those who diligently seek me, those who don't give up will find me. And this word find again means find by it being delivered to you as a gift. She says, yes. Fine, I'll go out with you. Fine, I'll give you a chance because you're persistent. I see how serious you are. It's not just an infatuation. You really want this to happen. I love those who love me, and those who diligently seek me will find me. And when you find wisdom, it's like a gift that she gives you. She's allowed you to find her because she's opened herself up to you, and it's a gift. She just doesn't open herself up or give herself to just anybody, only to those who truly prove their love by diligently seeking, by not giving up. Okay, uh, let's see here. Verse 18, riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. So this word riches actually means wealth that comes from far away. Now, what do you think that means? Imports, yeah, it could mean that. Since Solomon is talking to his sons, who are going to be the future kings and rulers, riches from afar could be tribute, meaning that you have conquered or subjected other nations to your rule 
and annually they have to bring tribute to you. Because that was a very common thing. If you can't make an ally, then you conquer them, or you will be conquered. So riches means riches from far away. So it could imply, um, you know, exporting, as Tracy said, or importing, I mean. And it also could be attributed to tribute, to another nation giving tribute to you, which would be in total context with what we're talking about and who we're, who this is being addressed to. Riches, or riches from far away, tribute or import, and honor are with me. Enduring wealth. Enduring, not some Amway pyramid scheme, not some get-rich-quick scheme. Enduring wealth. This word enduring means durable, solid, lasting, means it won't wear out. So, you know, stock markets crash. You know, paper currency isn't really worth much. I, I, I collect foreign currency, and I can't tell you how many different bills I have from Brazil because Brazil has changed its currency like, like a person changes their underwear. And so it's like, I don't even know which, which bill that I have is what they're currently using. So the paper money isn't worth much. What do investors always say if you're going to build a portfolio? Make sure you, huh? Buy gold. Buy gold. That's right. Make sure you have gold. Make sure you have silver. Because guess what? That's not going to lose its value. If the stock market crashes or we have an EMP strike, an electromagnetic pulse, and we don't have the ability to get our money out of the bank, but we've got gold somewhere, we've got silver somewhere, that's what you're going to have to use to trade and barter with. It doesn't lose its value. And so uh, enduring wealth, something that's solid and lasting. Enduring wealth and righteousness. Righteousness. Now, this, oh, I forgot to mention enduring wealth. We talked about enduring wealth means something that's uh, of substance. It implies an abundance of necessities of high quality. That's what wealth means there in the Hebrew. So we see that not only wisdom is going to give us, you know, mental and spiritual benefits, but even materialistic benefits as well, because it takes somebody who's wise to be able to conquer other nations, to be able to 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 uh, uh, demand tribute from other nations, or to uh, engage in international trade of importing and exporting, and being being able to build up, um, you know, uh, the the economic infrastructure of a nation. So we know that during Solomon, Solomon was was the heyday, was the golden era of Israel, because it says that when Solomon ruled, that silver, even though it was worth something, wasn't worth much because there was silver in abundance. Silver was almost like pebbles on the ground. You could walk on it. It was almost like pavement. It wasn't, you know, so there was an abundance of gold and silver and jewels and wealth in Solomon's kingdom. So much so that certain aspects of wealth wasn't worth very much because there was an abundance of it. That's how something gets worth something is when it's rare. So the more rare something is, the more expensive or the more uh, valuable it is. Uh, so in verse 19, wisdom says, my fruit is better than gold, even pure gold. Now this concept of pure gold boggles my mind because every piece of gold I've seen has been solid. I can't see through it. But the Bible says that in the world to come, 
that the streets are going to be paved with gold, and it's going to be so pure that the gold's going to be transparent. Almost like glass. I can't imagine the, the purity of that, to be able to, something so pure you could see through it. So it says, my fruit is better than gold, even pure gold, and my yield than choicest silver. So this word for fruit uh, just doesn't mean like an apple or an orange. It means boughs, like in, like in trees, tree branches. So it, basically what wisdom is saying, she's like, my fruit or my wisdom is like a tree branch that is loaded and laden down with fruit. Have you ever seen fruit that was so heavy on the tree that the branch was about to break because it was just bowing down and bending over? That's what wisdom is talking about. My fruit or, or the, my branches are so full of fruit. There's an abundance of it that it's better than gold, even pure gold. And my yield, this word yield means revenue. It means income. It means gain. My yield, my income, my revenue, my gain is better than the choicest of silver. So wisdom's got, wisdom is the total package. You've got mental, spiritual, physical, and materialistic health and wealth. If you have wisdom, you have that key that's going to unlock all those different things that you desire and want in your life or that you need. Wisdom is the conduit how God is going to bless you. We, we're in a room that's got electrical wires. We know that people will go into abandoned uh, buildings and strip the buildings of copper because copper is very valuable, but copper is very conductive. If it wasn't for copper, we really wouldn't have lights like we have them now. It takes the co to copper uh, to be that vehicle or that conduit to bring the electricity to us that lights our homes. And so that's what wisdom is. Wisdom is like that copper conduit that gives us the illumination, gives us what we need, gives us what we want. It's the vehicle. It's, it's the key. All right. Okay, verse 20. Well, I'm going to stop right there because I do have a little commentary on verses 17 through 19. It says, Wisdom is like buried treasure, not easy to find. And when you do, you have to work hard for it by digging. Treasure hunters, all you have to do is watch The Curse of Oak Island, right? Have you ever seen that on the History Channel? Think of how much money those guys are, are pouring into the equipment, the drills, the digging, the, 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 the divers, all this equipment that they're to try to find this massive treasure and you almost wonder if they find this treasure is it going to be worth all the effort and the money they put into trying to find it you're going to expend a lot of energy and a lot of money to find buried treasure but wisdom is like buried treasure wisdom is worth it you can't you can't exhaust the value of wisdom no matter how much you put in or invest into wisdom wisdom is going to give you a hundred times back what you put into it wisdom is like buried treasure not easy to find and when you do, you have to work hard for it by digging. But once it's obtained, it's worth it all. All that hard work will pay off. Now, I kind of liken it also to a teenager getting a car. Like a lot of rich families, when a kid turns 16, they're going to buy him a new car. 
I've seen this time. He rich, but Wade had one because he worked. Well, see, that's why I'm getting to that. He also went to school and worked. Yeah, and that, that's I'm gonna uh, I'm going to parallel those differences. You have rich families who will give their teenager a 16-year-old fresh fresh license in his hand, and they'll buy them a car at 16. Now, I've seen this time and time again. Nine times out of ten, three months down the road, that car is in the junkyard totaled. Why is that? Because he doesn't care. He didn't buy it. It was given to him. What's it worth to him? It doesn't, it does, it's not worth anything to him because he took it for granted. It was given. So he rode it hard and was reckless with it, and all of a sudden he wrecks it. Oh, well, I didn't pay for it. It ends up in the junkyard. As compared to a 16-year-old who has worked a paper route and delivered pizzas or you know worked at a restaurant and did all these odd jobs and scrimped and saved for years in order to buy a car on his own, and this car may be like 15 years old, it's got a little rust and it doesn't run really well. It kind of clunks along, but man, he's out there washing it and waxing it every day, working on it every day because it's valuable to him. He dug for it. He worked hard for it to, for it to obtain it. He wouldn't do anything stupid or reckless with it, even though it may be a piece of junk because he worked hard for it. That's the difference. And that's like wisdom. Wisdom is not something that's going to be handed to you on a silver platter because you take it for granted. You ha that's why people say, well, I don't understand the Word of God. Well, you're not spending time in it. You've got to dig. There's very little that's on the surface that you could just take and go away with it. You have to dig into the Word of God to get those valuable jewels and those gems and those nuggets from it. And all that digging is worth it. And some people don't want to waste their time because they don't understand how valuable this is. So wisdom is like a stabilizer on a plane or a rudder on a ship. Now, you know, if you just had like a little John boat and you had to use oars and paddles or whatever, it'd be hard to get to where you're going. You could, but it'd be very laborious, very hard, and it's hard to get coordinated and you get turned around. But if you had a motor with a rudder on it, you just, just a little slight turn and it takes you wherever you want to go. You can almost turn on a dime. Yes, my, I won a, a boat there once. Yeah? I didn't have a motor, so my husband didn't want it. So we gave it to my son and his wife. Okay. <laughs> they paddle in the, still with it sometimes. Huh. But that's what wisdom is. It's like a stabilizer that gives smooth direction to a plane or a ship. Uh, okay. I'm going to, my goal is to stop at 21. So we got two more verses, so hang with me. Um. Verse 20, I walk in the way of righteousness. So this is, again, wisdom talking about herself. I walk in the way of righteousness. The word walk means, uh, it's, it's the Hebrew word halak, which means a habitual way of doing things, a, a disciplined, habitual manner. It says I lead in my Bible. Okay, I lead. Um, I lead or I walk in the way of righteousness. Now, this word halak is used in Judaism to uh to define um customs and traditions of the jewish people it's called halakha so there's 613 commandments but you know there's more than one way to skin a cat well there's more than one way to keep a commandment and different sects of judaism have different ways of keeping certain commandments it's called their halakha it's their way 
It's their way. It's their walk. It's how they walk out the Torah. That's the word that's being used here. So it says, I walk in the way. And uh, this word way means a highway, like a wayfarer's highway. I walk in the way of righteousness in the midst of the path of justice. Now, the word for paths means byways or, or, or side routes. So everywhere wisdom walks, she walks in righteousness, whether it be in a broad highway or a narrow side street. Uh, I walk in the midst of the paths of justice. And I think of that word midst, and it makes me think of straight and center. And, and you see that, like if you're going down the Anderson Road or the McLaughlin Road, on the edges it's really snowy. So you're going to ride right in the middle, straight in the middle, until you meet a car and you have to get over because the middle is the most stable and secure way because that's the most ground is clear there, and it's safe. And that's kind of what the, 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 this reminds me of. I walk in the way of righteousness and in the midst of the paths of justice. All right. Verse 21, to endow those who love me with wealth that I may fill their treasures. To endow. This word endow means uh, it's, it's like uh, an inheritance. Something that is inherited, something that is passed down as a gift, as an inheritance. You know, I, it says in my Bible that love to inherit something. Okay. Some translations do say that. That's good. I endow those who love me with wealth. And this wealth means uh, existence or substance. So it's more, it's, it's basically that life where, where Jesus said, I give you life, but I give it to you more abundantly. That's kind of what this word wealth means. It just means abundant life. It means substance. It means existence. So I, I give an inheritance to you of, of life. That's wealth. I, I endow those who love me with wealth that I may fill their treasuries. So this word fill means to consecrate or to replenish. And the word treasury, the word treasuries uh, means a storehouse. So in other words, I inherit, I, I inherit, give an inheritance to you of abundant life, and I will replenish your storehouses. Because a storehouse is meant to be used. And at some point, a storehouse is going to run down on supplies. And when you do, wisdom saying, I'm going to keep filling it back up for you so that you don't have to worry about it. So that's kind of what this is saying here. So I wrote a little commentary in verses 20 and 21. Wisdom is like the standard of right rule and the honest integrity which, which one requires and secures wealth mentally, spiritually, and monetarily. Wealth, quote-unquote, is the reward of one who is faithful to the principles and ways of wisdom. So verse 22 starts a whole new thought. A uh, whole new paragraph from, you know, this dialogue that wisdom's giving. So we're just going to stop right there and pick up on verse 22 next week. Uh, look around and see who's not here and just say, hey, we missed you in class. And, you know, not sure if you were sick or had a doctor's appointment or couldn't get out of your driveway, but we missed you. And, you know, hope to see you next week. And just encourage people and invite somebody to come to the Bible study. Uh, invite somebody. You never know. They may want to come. So even if they're not a part of our church or congregation, uh, please invite them. That might be one of the ways we get our 20 in 2020, right? All right, so let's go ahead and close with a word of prayer. 
Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you so much. We thank you for showing us more of wisdom and what wisdom is and what wisdom means and and how wisdom applies to our life and how we can use wisdom uh, not just to make our life better, but to honor and to glorify you. And so, Father, we just give us a hunger and an appetite and a thirst for wisdom. And the only place wisdom is found is in your word. So, Father, just help us to want to dive more deeply into, into your word and not be intimidated by your word to say, well, I've never been to Bible college or I don't know Hebrew. I don't know Greek. All you need, you know, is, is a couple different translations and the guiding of the Holy Spirit. And anybody can study the word of God. And yeah, it's a little bit hard, but it's meant to be. It's like treasure. Treasure's not easy to find. You just don't find treasure lying on top of the ground. You have to dig for it. It's hard work. Blood, sweat, and tears. A little bit of expense. Time and money. But the dividends and the rewards from getting those nuggets and those jewels from the Word of God, those little bits of wisdom, uh, is worth far more than anything that we could have thrown in into it in order to obtain it. So, Lord, just... Help us to fall madly and deeply in love with you, with wisdom, with your word, with your Messiah, and get serious about our life in Christ. Get serious about our walk and our way, that it's not just, it's not just a, 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 a man-made, contrived, uh, organized religion of do's and don'ts, but it's, it's more of a personal relationship with our very creator. And these words are the very words of life. I, I don't understand how we, we can't be excited about that and want to share what we know, what we've learned with other people. Instead of hoarding it to ourselves, Lord, help us to give us opportunities in our daily life and, 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 and throughout the week. And people that we meet in the grocery store or at the doctor's office or at the bank or wherever we go, that we may be able to share a little bit of the word of God, a little bit of what we've learned and what, what, what we've been taught and also just kind of invite, invite people. Say, hey, we would love to have you as, as a guest. Lord, we love you and we praise you and we ask these things in Yeshua's name. Amen.